This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Gary Graham, Ambassadors of All in Star Trek. You're listening to Warp 5. How we doing, Trev? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course landing, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise podcast. I am your host today, Patrick Devlin, and joined with me, as always, Brandy Jackala. Brandy, how are you? I am sweaty, but mostly fine. <laughs> so I thought you were going to say swell, and that didn't come out. I started sweaty. to say swell, and then I was thinking about how my, my feet are swelling because of the heat, and then it became about being sweaty because I can't have my air conditioner on while we're recording. Oh, that's brutal. Mm. I, I have the same problem in the basement. You know how most basements are cooler than the rest of houses, apparently? Mine doesn't listen. Mm. So it's brutal down here. But, you know, whatever. We got we got a great episode today, actually. We have not one, but two quote-unquote guests. One, one special guest and one super secret special guest. We'll be around for one episode, but... Think the, I think the listeners will be happy about. Yes, I think that they'll be happy about both of these guests. Yeah, me too. And uh, remember, one of our guests, he might have shot somebody in an episode once. Mm, maybe so. Or at least something. He shot something. He might have fired phasers. Who knows? Had sparks go off yeah. above his head. Hey. Mm. But he may have survived, because he's here to talk about it. Um, so with that, with that being said, uh, why don't we get into bringing those two on now? Let's do it. So first, let's introduce the the fans, uh, our listeners, to Jim Morehouse. Jim, how are you doing? Great. I'm glad to be on War 5 and talk about these episodes with you guys. Love awesome. Love yeah, we're glad to have you here. And a super special guest that came just for our listeners, Brandon Shamatala. How have you been? Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm happy to be back. I uh, I was able to squeeze this podcast in here while I'm kind of on my vacation, and and uh, I hope the the listeners haven't missed me too much. I'm going to be here for this week, and then I'm going to be gone for a couple more weeks uh, because of the vacations that are coming up still. But uh, I'm happy to be back, happy to be talking about some Star Trek Enterprise, and I've been listening along as uh, Patrick and Brandy have been taking the reins and doing a really good job. i got to say, I really liked you guys' episode on Detained. It was a good job. Oh, thank thank you. you, thank you. Yeah, we, we thought we did an all right job with it, but we're glad that you, you enjoyed it, and we, 
Hopefully other people did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. But you did break a bunch of people's hearts by telling them you're going to be leaving again after this week. So, Yeah, I've got a couple more weeks off, but uh, I'll be back in a couple weeks. So I'm not gone for good. I'm, uh, I'm just gone for a little while. You've heard it here first, folks. Not gone for good. Let's hope Risa doesn't claim another talented, futuristic, bright podcaster. Well, it's not Risa, it's Vulcan. I'm going to be in Vulcan, Alberta. Okay, oh, great. Now, that, well, that's fine. Because Risa, nothing but trouble. We've Risa, already discussed this. It's too, too far away. I can't go that far. I can't afford that. Well, if you even made it there, people have a habit of getting kidnapped or brainwashed while they're on their way to Risa. <laughs> it's very bad. So, Risa's not what we're talking about this week. <laughs> Sorry. But, <laughs> so, Randy, would you like to give a rundown of the three episodes Oh, sure. I would love to give a rundown, um, a a basic rundown. I I could actually spend a lot more time on this than you probably want me to. But today we are continuing our season four retrospective, and we are diving into three of my favorite episodes, possibly of the entire series, but definitely of season four, which are lovingly known often as the Vulcan Trilogy. Okay, so these episodes do include uh, the three-episode arc, starting with The Forge, The Awakening, and finishing with Kishara. And uh, this may not make sense to some people who don't know who Mr. Jim Morehouse is, but we brought him on for these three episodes because... Why, Jim? Tell them why. Tell them why. Because I had the extreme good fortune of appearing in an episode of Star Trek the middle episode of this trilogy, Awakening, and I got to fire the phasers. <laughs> ship on the alert. And he shot out. somebody. He's like my hero. <laughs> those, those Vulcans. Those damn Vulcans. He wasn't just in it. He was the star of the episode. I was not the star, but I did fire the phasers. Oh, you had lines, man. You no, actually... no lines. Oh, just a nod. Yeah. Right, well, my head cannon, you're now the star. Yep, that, me too. <laughs> You're you're the best part of that episode. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, um, do you want me to just do a, like a small plot rundown? Yeah, yeah, real fast. Okay. Well, be- before we do that, for the listeners yes. that at when we're done, if you want to listen, Jim was on one previous episode of Warp Five, and he did talk about his experiences being on set. Uh, that was episode one hundred and nineteen of Warp Five. All the extras stand over there. Yes, and uh, I remember that episode very well. It was delightful. That's a great. That's a great title. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't care. Right. <laughs> okay. So uh, here we go. So let's start with the forge. Uh, the forge begins with uh, a bombing of the United Earth Embassy on Vulcan, and. Uh, Admiral Forrest is killed. Admiral Forrest is killed, guys! He was protecting Ambassador Saval, and uh, this is very bad. It, it ends up 31 humans are now dead from this bombing. And so now Captain Archer has come to Vulcan, and he's talking to Velos, who's the high administrator, and he's thinking that it's this Vulcan faction called the Cyrenites. Is it? We'll find out, won't we? Uh, and of course, since we're at Vulcan, hmm, Koss has to come on board. <laughs> Sorry, is anybody else as bored by Koss as I am? <laughs> but, 
So he gives. Well, this is giving some spoilers, but for 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 an unemotional Vulcan man, this guy has got some crazy emotion, especially right? in his actions and stuff. Like I was I was just watched the last one there, and you, you know where he's like tells that Vulcan to turn on the communicator and whatnot, and he just points like he just points at him with this fierce thing and he's like he's like got these angry looks and angry faces all the time this is the guy's the least vulcan vulcan ever <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why uh uh paul can't stand him I, no, i'm just kidding i'm Wait, sure that I she think, doesn't hate I, hold on. I think bj was talking about veloss oh veloss i'm sorry about Cost Cost. Oh, sorry. Who, yes. who I was going to say, actually, because he did. He saved the day at the end of the. Yeah. The, Co- spoiler alert. We'll, we'll get to that. Cost does <laughs> do some good things, but I still find him boring. I'm sorry. But he, but he, is, he is boring. Yeah. But uh, he, he starts this whole thing really off on the quest that's going to happen because he gives to Paul a pendant from her mother, which is an idic pendant, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And uh, he tells her that she is a Serenite. And (laughs) yeah, that's, uh, that's a big reveal. Uh, Anyway, investigations happen. Dr. Flox discovers that the DNA was planted and so forth. We'll, just kind of skip over and discuss that in fuller detail as we go along. Next, the best episode, because Jim is on it, Awakening. Someone shoots something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fired phasers or plasma cannons or something. I just... And, it's and so a head exciting. nod. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And uh, so, basically, in this one... Saval is summoned to appear before Administrator Velas, and he is facing punishment because of something he did in the previous episode, which we'll talk about, and he's dismissed from being an ambassador. Uh, Archer and Paul are down on Vulcan in The Forge, which also we'll talk about, and uh, Archer is uh, one of this gentleman who helped them <laughs> uh, who ends up dying. We'll talk about that too. Uh, he think he, he mind melts with, uh, with Archer, we think. And now Archer's having visions, lots of visions. So, and now finally we're going to get to, to pow, whom everybody knows from the original series. And now we get to see her as a younger Vulcan. And she is, uh, basically pretty much the de facto leader of the Serenites. And they're try- they have no idea that they're being hunted for this particular uh, bombing. Anyway, long story short, things are happening. There's a reason why the Vulcans want to get rid of the humans. And when I say Vulcans, I mean the small faction of Vulcan- Vulcans who have the most power. But, uh, you know, uh, basically, the Enterprise gets fired upon and, and things happen and sparks fly and... Plasmas cannons are fired and all those right over my head. Right over your head, you dear heart. So Mm. thankfully, you did not catch on fire. (laughs) Not that I think that you would catch on fire easily because you know those guys are really just top notch when it comes to not having accidents on set. I would think as far as uh, special effects. So yeah, one of the things that I want to talk about this episode, the first one here, um, is to me. This makes the animated series canon. <laughs> right? Because we had the sea lot in 
uh, yesterday's, not yesterday's, yes. anyways, uh, yesteryear, right? Yesteryear. And then we see it here. So because we saw it in the animated series first, and now we see it here, to me, this makes the entirety of the animated series canon. Well, there are other things that do make okay. the animated series canon as well. So I'm, but I'm on board with that. I have nothing to add as I've never watched the animated series. What? It's oh. great, man. Come on. <laughs> <sighs> okay, well, anyway, third episode, Kirshara. Uh, we're going to wrap all of this up um, where they're trying to find the Kirshara. And, oh, guess what? I love this episode, too, because mm, my boy Shran's in it. You know how I love me some Shran. And so yeah, I don't, He's a real jerk in this one. He is. He is. But I also understand that... He's acting under orders as well. That's no excuse. I'm not no, saying that that's an excuse. No, you just went over that. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's an excuse, but I understand both sides of that coin, especially with the level of detrust, but distrust between Vulcans and Andorians, and for good reason. So, uh, I'm not even going to really go over most of this, but it gets wrapped all up in a nice little bow, and let's dive deeper into the episodes, because I'm having a hard time not talking about every single thing okay. in every episode. So, let's, let's start with... Um Brandon, what'd you think of the forge? Um, I thought it was a great start. I mean, it, it's very interesting to see uh, the you know Admiral Forrest and Saval working together, and you know having this almost heart to heart, if I dare say it, conversation right before Forrest's death, and the fact that Forrest also jumps in the way to save Saval's life. Like we, this is a lot of growth that we've had in these characters from where we saw them in Broken Bow. You know, like the, these these characters and, and the relationship that they have with humanity has really grown a lot, and it's shown really well at the start of the episode. I think, and the fact that this episode starts with the death of Admiral Forrest, who's been there since day one, literally the very beginning, is pretty pretty immense, mm -hmm. pretty intense. I I love the Forge. It's it's actually my number one rated uh, Enterprise episode at Trek Ranks. Oh. <laughs> Website. It's just got it all. And like you said, not only that unbelievable scene set, but then all the stuff that happens on the Vulcan planet with the Ceylon and uh, Archer and Paul. I love, just love it. It's so good. Mm -hmm. uh, I too love this episode. Um, back when we were picking our favorites from each season, this was my favorite episode of season four. And I. There's there's so much happening. There's really so much happening. We find out more about um, Teles and stuff that we never even suspected. Although, you know, it didn't really surprise me. I'm like, oh, okay, so she's in Serenite. That's fine. And I thought, yeah, let's uh, let's open up this whole society that's going on right now in Vulcan and the problems that are happening therein that aren't being addressed and see what's really underneath all of the stuff that we've only seen the surface level of so far mm -hmm. and so i really i love this episode i cried when i found out archer not archer when i found out that forrest was dead i was just like no so yeah i did do that actually the first time i saw this episode there was a long uh mm -hmm. luke skywalker no um <laughs> so 
You mentioned Teles, and there's something interesting about her character and Joanna Cassidy as an actress. I have a yes. hard time differentiating Joanna Cassidy from the character that I know her best as. And that's the mother in, I can't remember the character's name because it's been so long, but in Six Feet Under. Mm. Have you guys watched Six Feet Under? Oh, hold on. I have. You know who her husband is in Six Feet Under? I don't remember, no, because she was so overpowering. His, and this is amazing that you brought this up. I wasn't going to bother, but his name is Robert Foxworth, who plays Veloz. Yes. It's oh, you're right. <laughs> husband and wife in Six Feet Under. You are right. Really amazing that they, they don't interact in this episode. But every time I see it, I think, wow, that's an odd coincidence. It's interesting that they do. So. I've just started watching season three of Fear the Walking Dead, and two characters from Deadwood show up at that, right? Right at the beginning oh, of season that's three. Right. So, crazy. <laughs> anywho, but it's, I can't, I have a tough time differentiating from that character because that was, I watched that show for so long. And so that's the role that I know her best in. I mean, she's also in Blade Runner, you know, as, but I mean, the, the role that I know her for is the mother in Six Feet Under. So I really associate that with her in this position too, because she's the mother here and that mother is so overpowering. I don't know. It's just, it's hard for me to not separate those characters more. So I guess that, is that a negative or I guess that's a negative for you? Cause I love the portrayal of Teles. I agree. The, consistency between home and then this and then her death and awakening spoiler alert it's not Um, that it's a it's a negative it's just that they seem very similar the two mothers to me yeah i don't remember i can't remember six feet under that well i watched six feet under but i don't i don't remember exactly her character okay well that's just me but that's okay i mean i just find the way the thing i think about her and her portrayal is I could totally see T'Pol in her. I just think it's an unbelievable lineage mm-hmm. there. They, they casted it perfectly, and it feels like they're mother-daughter. Right. Especially, especially when they're kind of battling at the end, and they're trying to come to some level of the same page, which they finally do when, spoiler alert, she mm-hmm. dies. <laughs> yeah. Jim? Gosh. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, my thoughts on this episode in general is that I really enjoyed this episode, but what I liked the most was, and maybe I'm the only one, but I didn't really believe the Serenites were going to be terrorists in the first place. Agree. Right? You know, I thought we've seen such bad Vulcans leading up to this point that I thought they were going to be the Vulcans that we know moving forward in, in Star Trek history. Oh, really? Because the first time I saw this, like, I knew I watched these all live, right, when they originally aired, and I knew that the Vulcans we had seen so far on Star Trek weren't quite the Vulcans that we saw in the original series and beyond. But we had never we'd never heard the term Seerites before. No, we hadn't. But the way they had explained, like the not mind melding and all that other stuff leading up to this, mm-hmm. it led me to believe that oh, they must eventually take over and they just become the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they totally had me fooled the first time I saw it. I remember it, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. And see, there's me, where I'm, the first time I see the loss, I'm like, no, I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. No. Well, see, the bad thing with him, I don't know if you remember, but he was the Badmiral in the two-part DS9, Paradise Lost, and Home uh, Homefront. Yes, I realized that, but I know him from 
uh, my childhood, if I remember correctly, he was on Falcon Crest, and he was a nice guy. So that's where I remember him from. So <laughs> I, th I don't have those preconceived notions that he always plays a bad guy. Yeah. Well, he. Uh, I was. I was going to say, we also, as part of the Vulcan kind of launch in this episode, when when they put T'Pau on the screen, I almost. I mean, I lost it. Yeah. That, to me, that was amazing. And I had heard when I was on set filming that obviously I had mentioned to Pow and a few things. And I remember, I think we talked about it, Brandon. I said, to Pow's in my episode? What the hell is happening? And <laughs> that image of her when they put her on screen and say she's the one that did the bombing. And obviously I didn't think she did, but that is such a great continuity moment. Yes. Start to have that be the, the catalyst for this story. So cool. Fan service so cool. done right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Love it. Perfectly. Yeah, and, and you know what? She's pretty good looking too. So you know what I can say about that is to pouch chicka wow wow. I was gonna say one more thing about when they're on the planet. I love all the scenes between to Paul and Archer and this guy Arev, who turns out to be Siren, who leads the Sirenites. Mm -hmm. he, he, those he like the first thing he does is when they kind of lie and say to Paul's there or Archer's there studying. And he challenges them with all those uh, famous Vulcan questions. Yeah. And Archer's like trying, you know, not answering them and kind of talking his way around it. And then he says, Vulcans don't lie. And Archer says, I've dealt with the high command. <laughs> the best of them. I love that moment. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that was, that was uh, an amazing scene. And like you said, the, the fact that he tried to say Vulcans don't lie, and it's like, oh man, <laughs> you, you haven't been hanging around much lately, have you? It's. <laughs> It's going to be hard talking about like the episodes individually. We'll probably bounce back and forth. Yeah, and I know that's this okay. is from the, the second one. But one of the confusing things about this plot for these episodes is that with technologies not supposed to work in this area, yet they've got this holographic covering for these for their base. Does anybody else have a problem with that? I, okay, so I did, but then I rationalized it to myself because I wanted to. I'm not going to lie. I, I wanted to rationalize this. And I rationalized it as the stuff worked up high, but not down on the ground. Exactly. There we and, go. How, and they actually said that. I mean, Bisha, you know me. I Nitpicking is my trigger. I just, I don't do it. You can, you can explain everything away. And they actually say in the episode, well, the planes can fly overhead. It's just lower to the surface. Right, so that but this is on the surface. So why is the hologram working? Well, it's the like surface? the top Finally, of the hill. Our hologram is above that. So <laughs> well, no, cuz Archer walked hey, through the hologram. Hey, you do Bisha, you do know that they uh, they fly in spaceships at warp speed from planet to planet, which is basically <laughs> impossible uh, in a couple of days. <laughs> you do know that happens. Well, more importantly, <laughs> apparently when the Vulcan ships were going later on in episode three, when the Vulcan ships are coming there two hours away and then they're there in less than a sentence. So <laughs> if you want to really start picking things apart, that's the whole, that's the problem with it. But I got to be honest, I pick things apart too, but this one, I like the trilogy so much. I just said, I'm going to ignore it. Yeah. I just, I, I don't care. That's, that's, thank you, Brandy. I don't care. Made perfect sense to me yeah. in my head. It's fine. I'm just like this is not something I want to get upset about, so I didn't. But I do love the I do love the Saylot in it. I think that is an amazing and again, that is fan service done right because it's a uh, it's something that had been mentioned and even if you haven't seen the animated series, it's mentioned in Journey to Babel. Yep. You know, 
like the big teddy bear. Yep. Vul- Vulcan children are rarely late with their Salot's dinner. Yes. To Paul Yeah. I, I like that line too. When when will it when will it get bored with us? Or however he, he puts it, and she's like, uh, a few days. <laughs> <laughs> really good. It's really good. Uh, Bichet, by the way, they also had uh, uh, cloaks on the on the side of the cave when uh, Arthur and Topol walked uh, and Topol walked through it into their compound. Right. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, they walked through it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I thought you were talking just about the one above. No, no, no. They they walked through it. Yeah. That's right. I just totally forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, Again, I I, wasn't even explaining that one away. (laughs) Go, Brandy. You go. (laughs) I'm not going to let some little thing enjoy ruin my enjoyment of anything. Oh, I have. I most certainly have. I'm just not letting this one. Yeah. yeah, No, I agree. (laughs) I agree. There are things that I just can't enjoy because of certain things, but this one's not one of them. Back to Archer on the planet. We can put a pin in it. So great when he won't take the water, and he's like, "No, I'm good for a few more days." Mm-hmm. After uh, after he got uh, the katra put inside of him, after he's he like, got all suracked up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, th- the best callback is when Tapal says the word. Or sorry, uh, Archer says the word that Arab says. And Tapal's like that word means remember, remember what? And again, like you know, yes. like. Oh, I love like I love that. That's great yeah. because of two, right? Because of Star Trek two, then a Path simple word time. remember. Mm-hmm. So yep. I don't know. Like that's it's really really well done, and and the callbacks are really well done in this episode. We were talking a little while ago, a couple episodes ago, about when is fan service too much, and it's like it's really hard to describe that fine line. And I don't even know where that line is myself. There's just, I'll see something and like it, or I'll see something and not like it. And it's like, I don't know where that line is myself. And it's really hard to describe. And all the stuff for fan service in this episode is done well. And it's really perfect in my opinion. I have to Uh say, I don't think that there is a de facto line of where fan service becomes too much because that is going to be personal to each fan. Mm -hmm. So there is not one standard by which you can judge whether there's too much fan service because everyone's going to react differently. But I even think what Brandon's saying, and I agree with him is like, I don't even know what my line is. Exactly. I just, I just know when I hit it. Yeah. I'll be watching. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, too much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just, one too many. One too oh, many. You screwed it all up. Golly. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It's so hard. Like I can't. I can't describe the line. But in this episode, they're definitely well on the line side of the line where it's all good. So yeah, and they put in a lot too. So it's not just like a um, amount, you know. So it's. I guess it's just kind of the way they shove it down your throat or not mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Well. Yeah. What, one of the reasons I think for that is because it was written by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, mm-hmm. who are obviously great Trek authors in their own right and super knowledgeable Trekkies. And I, I mean, they're so great. It's the first time they were actually on a, on staff for one of the shows. In that mm-hmm. last so it was great that they got that up. Their books are some of the best books that are written for Star Trek novels. Yep. Yeah. And, and these, epi- this episode was done perfectly. I mean, mm-hmm. other than the whole walking through cloaks thing, which doesn't bother anyone, but, right <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, no, okay, so we, we didn't really mention that this this is the episode where he actually, I mean, we mentioned it in passing, but this is the episode where he actually gets the Katra, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even right. know what's happening. The, um, 
what's his name is dying and he touches his face. And, what's his name? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm. It's late where I am. Arif. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we, we record these late for me. I'm terrible with names. What's this funky guy there? What's so, his yeah, funk? so he, whatever. He gets electrocuted. He touches Archer's face. Archer now has weird dreams while awake. While awake. But but that actually happens. We've talked about everything, every other scene but that one in this in this episode so far. And that's kind of, for me, the most important episode. Even if I can't remember anybody's name in it. <laughs> great. It's a great moment. And that actor's uh, really, really good. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess we could probably move on to the second episode in the trilogy, which would be The Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, what are your thoughts on The Awakening? Well, this is actually my number six episode on TrekRanks.com. You put yourself at six? I know. I, you know, I was trying to too big a homer, too big a homer. No, I would have put me at one, period. <laughs> yes. This episode is incredible. I mean, again, talking about fan servers and the way, I mean, when you see Tapau running around and running the show and the Katra and everything going on on the ship with, uh, with the Vulcans and the Velas and in intrigue it's it's got everything even at the end when all of a sudden bring andoria into this thing oh they're invading andoria holy crap it's uh it's an amazing amazing episode but we've been hearing about the vulcan time awakening in star trek forever they've referenced it you know in tng and the previously in enterprise and then tos and the fact that we actually get to kind of see it here is pretty pretty unbelievable yeah, that when he has when we go into that mind meld that well not the mind meld but the what's inside of Archer's Kotrick. mind the Kotrick, whatever um, and we see like the the that war happening off in the distance like that's a really cool scene because we know uh, yeah like there's there's another mention I don't know which episode but for the people who are beneath the Raptors' wings like these are referring to the Romulans right. You know, yep. that they're talking about. And uh, Michael Martin and Andy Mangell has actually used that to title one of their novels that comes a little bit later called Beneath the Raptor's Rings uh, during the Romulan War, one of their books. So, you know, there's a little bit of reference there. And that's such a great line, Beneath the Raptor's Wings. It's really cool. So one of the things about this episode that I really actually love is if I were just to explain to you all the different things that happen and you'd never seen the episodes, you'd think, wow, that's way too much for this to be cohesive and understanding but it all makes perfect sense when the episode's over mm. it, it nothing feels overplayed like it it feels like everything made perfect sense even though if i would just explain to you how many different things take place you'd be like ah but how'd you understand any of that mm-hmm. that's true there are a lot of different things going on in this episode and it's <sighs> It's, it's one of those that kind of was a little bit divisive with some fans. But again, it's uh, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I just I just love it. So I'm just going to think my way out of any inconsistencies that people want to talk about and point out. Because in the long run, I don't care. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of the episode. So I just don't care. But we get to see Commander Tucker being a commander. Huh. Mm-hmm. So we don't get to right. see that a whole lot and holding his own against uh, Velas, who just becomes so much more evil, like the fruits of the devil. Another great thing about this episode, I guess it pro- it starts last episode, really, but both groups, the pe- you know the people still back on Enterprise and Paul and um, Archer, are figuring out that 
the Cyrenites didn't do this separate of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because on the Enterprise, they knew it by the time they had found Kapow, and he's still blaming her because mm-hmm. he, they can't talk to each other. So I like that they built in that little inability to communicate so that you had to, you had to think, to yourself, oh, man, is he ever going to believe them? Is whatever. And now we're seeing that come to fruition where he understands it all, but Kapow's like, I'll kill him. I'll kill him if it means getting getting uh, back to Katra. I don't care. I, what? That's his problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting... Uh, that they have on Vulcan, they've got this policy where they have to submit DNA of every single person on the a planet. Excessive. I don't know. I think that's really interesting, and I don't know that that's a logical policy to have in place. You know, like that's. I don't, it just seems really interesting to me, and I'm like, I'm eager to hear Ken Ray's take on this when they get there eventually, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> so. Well, it could be that this was something that came about during Velos's tenure because he knew what he was planning and had been planning it for, I bet, a long time. I got the impression that this was a really old policy. This has been going on on Vulcan. Like, it's just, you know, people have just given their DNA. Uh, Mutant Registration Act, anyone? Yeah. It had to be at least 35-ish years old, right? Because they said she was in her mid-30s. Uh, yeah, so, right. And the but, I mean, loss like, is pretty old. <laughs> right, they couldn't just be like, okay, I'm going to take this, I'm going to plan this DNA, and hopefully someday somebody's going to be a terrorist against this, what I want. And I don't know, I just think that, I don't think that that's something you could plan. No, I don't, so. I don't mean planning it in that way. I mean that that was part of his plan. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to blame this on somebody else so I can get rid of this group that opposes me. How convenient that I made us start getting all of this DNA a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. So... It's it's something that dictators do. They do crap like that because they want ammunition for whenever they might need it against any group. Because no, it, dictators don't like dissenters. They don't. And they want to get rid of them and shut them up. So my question is, when he gets thrown out, does it still continue? Well, it depends on whether or not he was the one who instigated, instigated it, which I don't think that it was him. No, I'm with you, Bisha. I think it was something on the planet that's been happening for a long time. And, and, and obviously it's a plot contrivance, I think. In terms it of just it. seems illogical to me. No, but even, all right, but even if, I'm sorry, Brandy, but no, I no, agree no. with them. I just think no, it's going forever. That's but fine. even if it wasn't him, it doesn't mean the next person coming can be like, you know, that really was a bad idea. Like, right, that could happen. Right. See, it's not that, like, it's not, a, I understand it's a contrivance for the episode, but it opens up an interesting thing. It's not something that, this is different than me pointing out them being able to have a hologram there, right? This is something that they've now said is not contradicted in any way that's a Vulcan policy. Like, we've never heard this before, we've never heard it after, it's never been contradicted, right? I do think it's really fascinating that the Vulcans would have this kind of policy in place. Yeah, it doesn't so. seem Vulcan. Klingon, I would agree with. Cardassian, mm. uh, for sure. Cardassian, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think of it, it could easily be Vulcan. I mean, the thing about Vulcans is people, there's always that criticism that Enterprise Vulcans didn't match TOS, and I always disagree with that. I mean, there's no sneakier, more uh, manipulative Vulcans than the ones you see in a buck time. I mean, Tapring is playing everybody mm-hmm. in that thing. So I, uh, I've never had a problem with that. And I, I, I would never defend a policy like that, but I mean, and I agree, your, your word usually makes sense. Fascinating. That's, uh, but if it's no pun intended, mm-hmm. 
but it is interesting. But I, I, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem that far out of place for me. Like some Vulcan would have argued, hey, logically, it makes sense for us to have this information on everybody so we can track things that happen for the good of our our society. I could see them logically arguing that. But mm-hmm. It is interesting. Yeah, I guess I could I could see it happening. It just I don't know. It just seems like the way they wanted to portray Vulcans overall would would not lend to this kind of policy. So it's a little weird to me. And the fact that we only see it this one time just for this episode because they wanted to put Pow's face on a screen and they had no other way of putting it there without Which was without totally worth it. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining. But, yeah, I know, I know. But it was simply that was the reason it was invented. It was just because they wanted... Cause I don't know why. They could have just left the, the line alone and not had him say, was she ever arrested before? And they could just avoid the whole thing. But <laughs> he did because mm-hmm. that's a normal policy that you'd only have someone's DNA if they were arrested. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nah, we do that to everybody like the moment you're born. But that's what makes it so interesting for them. To, oh, I just realized. No, but then they, had, they needed all of that because they needed a way for Phlox to figure out that it age. was her DNA from when she was a baby. So, oh, yeah. Good so point. that's what... Brought that whole thing about. I'm sure we could have figured out a different way of figuring all this out, but but it's neat. It, it, it's interesting discussion. It is, and I agree with Jim because I, I agree with the people in or the Vulcans in Amok time, and other people obviously agree with this too. I don't know. I know it's books and it's not canon, but if anybody's read Spock's World by Diane Duane, I mean, like you know, T'Pring is up to her usual stuff in that book as well, and the Vulcan command and that is doing some shady stuff, and you know, so clearly other people have seen this too. That I, I agree. I don't think the Vulcans are out of character in Enterprise as a whole. You know, so, uh, yeah. No, but we, uh, we've we talked about this before. We talked about it with Nick Anastasio, mm-hmm. right? Where, no, the, the Vulcans have always been this way. We just, we have this belief that every Vulcan was Spock, and that's right. not true. Right, yeah. right, right. Just right. like every Klingon is not, um, every Klingon, they talk about <laughs> honor, but they don't have any. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. they do this with every race. They tell us what these broad strokes are. They give us a character that fits them, a Spock, a Worf, whatever. Then we believe that that's what the race is, but the race turns out to be completely different. Mm. Other than like Romulans, they're all conniving, you know, and that actually fits. Mm-hmm. So well, not all Romulans. Which one was good? Which one am I missing? Well, I'd have to go back to look up names, but there were the Romulans who were working with Spock in Next Generation with the reunification thing. Yeah, but even Pardak, right, was kind of a shady dude. Yeah. Yeah. Setting up Spock. Just, but there's those nice those nice unification kids. Yeah. Playing with their little Vulcan toys. <laughs> Which just, you bring that up and it was another the last line of the third episode. <laughs> well, we're gonna have the reunification of our peoples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I just don't feel like painting every single Romulan with the same brush. I mean, granted, they do seem devious and conniving, but they can't possibly all be that way. It's statistically uh, okay, impossible. That's fair, but my my main point is they'll tell you that Vulcans are all logical and don't lie, and then only one of them that's true of. Whereas with Romulans, they tell you they all lie and cheat, and the vast majority of them follow suit. At least the ones we see. Fair enough. You know, so it, maybe yeah. Of course, there's outliers, but the outliers for the Vulcans are the ones they tell us who they are. And those are the outliers. The rest are setting up listening posts. You know. <laughs> At, at their temple mm-hmm. and, and then we say oh they're so different but they're not when you really look at all the episodes the Vulcans from now are the same as the ones in Discovery they're the same as the ones in TOS they're the same as the ones we see in TNG and so on 
And uh, we, but we believe it the other way. But we're way off course here. And uh, does anyone else have anything it's to say Brandon's about fault. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> back, back to the death of Teles. <laughs> right. So, so right. We haven't even touched on that yet. So, did everyone else cry? Yes. Who, who died? <laughs> Nobody. No one died. Important. Everyone oh. lived. Oh, that chick from uh, Six Feet Under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah all yeah. those people She's that died in the first episode didn't really die. They just, Admiral Forrest wanted a new life. And he decided to go undergo some facial reconstruction surgery so that no one would recognize him. Yeah, and joined Section 31. See, it was just all a ploy to give Admiral Forrest Whoa. the life he always wanted. Wait a minute, what? Uh, Admiral Forrest turned into Teles? <laughs> yes, and then faked her, faked her own death. So, Jim, how'd you feel about Teles dying? I was going to say, it's pretty amazing when Teles holds, it tells Topolis she was always proud of her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, off in Starfleet, which, which means a lot, I think. That's a great moment. And, I mean, to, uh, Jolene Blaylock's acting in this scene is unbelievable when she, when she dies and she holds her close and then she's got that single tear bubbling up and falls. It's so, so well done. It's worth worth looking for if you, if you didn't know, notice that. Jolene Blaylock throughout the entire series was amazing, but this particular trilogy just was really powerful for her. And so I appreciated her getting to do more, especially coming to terms with the fact that she didn't know her mother as well as she thought she did, and then losing her, you know, after you know without even really reconciling but yeah it's just it's brutal and so there's a lot of tears for me but then i cry really easily i feel my emotions often constantly let's be honest constantly. very opposite vulcan i'm so the vulcans would hate me because i i mean i can't i do have a brain and i can think logically but my reactions are almost always emotional first so yeah, there was lots of tissue used. Brandon? I, I didn't cry. No. <laughs> well, anything else about the scene in general? I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean did you cry. <laughs> I, I thought it was great. I don't know. I don't have much more to add to the scene. Like, yeah, like, they, Jolene does a great job in it, and and uh, it's fine. All right, let's, uh, let me bring up one more thing, then, because we kind of started talking about it, but then we got off track. Uh, when... Tapau is willing to basically try to pull Serac out of uh, Archer's head. Oh, yeah. Really doesn't care if it costs him his life. I love that because I, for me, that is Tapau. And that is what later on when they're talking, in the muck time, when they're talking about Tapau as this badass uh, Vulcan matriarch that's just led this world for a hundred years, it's worth it to save Sarag for one life of one human. I think that's a really consistent, awesome moment. So, yeah, I'd like to add to that because as a Star Trek fan watching that, you know, when she does that, you're like, yes, that's exactly how this is supposed to go. But my wife was not a Star Trek fan and was watching through these episodes with me and she's like, she's a real jerk. And you're like, <laughs> yes, that's what she's supposed to be right now. Like, like I would be pissed if she wasn't. Yeah. And my wife's like, I don't like her anymore. Like, oh, no. I mean, she basically does the same thing in a muck time when, when they're realizing Kirk's going to die. She's like, yeah, well, it's to the dead. I'm really glad that they didn't give her that accent. They didn't try and put an accent on her in this. Like, 
So you, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad because that just would have not have worked for me. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, um, with Tapau saying that she didn't care if Archer died because she's a big picture person, mm-hmm. and she awesome. she knows that there are other things that are more important, and the most important thing is pres- preserving Sirox Katra because he has knowledge that they don't have. They need to find the Kirshara, and they can't lose Surak, or they may never find the Kishara, and then they can't overthrow this, dictor- di- this dictatorship that's currently ruling. Yeah, I mean, but even um, I think it was Talash, right? Tells her, you might, you might destroy you might lose both. Yeah. It might not just be one. She's like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, it's not staying with him. Well, there is that, too. It's a little racist. Yeah, a little, a, little, a, little bit, a little bit racist, but expected. But it, but it makes sense. Yes, it, it works out perfectly. It's the characterization was spot on. I feel. Mm-hmm. And then basically, this—if I'm not remembering wrong—because they all kind of blend together. So then, this episode, she eventually does it. He passes out, looks dead. It was really weird the way, though. Like, I, wouldn't you think it would just be like a mind melt to take it back? Sort of. Not like a head crush from like. 1980s WWE wrestling. (laughs) This is this is very Ultimate Warrior crushing your skull. Yeah, well, she was she was inexperienced at what she was doing. It's not like every day she tries to remove a katra from someone, and uh, she was also a little overly intense. But uh, she was. Mm She was determined, I guess is the best word, but uh, obviously uh, a little over exuberant in her grip of his head. I think. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. It really, it's really sold how difficult it was. Mm-hmm. That's she true. Went from behind too. We've never seen yeah, a Hulk and Mind like, done like that. They're both, they're both super intense. I, I, I like that uh, production choice. And I'm glad. Talking about fan service, one thing I'm glad that they didn't do is I'm glad they didn't try and reproduce the scene from Star Trek Three. Right when they were Thank when they're transferring the Katra because um, at Mount Salea, but they name drop it. Yeah, like I don't know. I'm I'm glad that they didn't do that, and I think that it would have been done in this way because they wouldn't have quite known what to do, right? Right. So I don't know. I like that, and I think this was. I think it was done well, and that neat little thing that he had to sit in. You know, like I, I, every time I watch that, I keep expecting something to happen, like some electrical shocks or something that, but they never do. Right? That's just what I'm expecting because he's sitting inside of that thing right electric chair electric chair sure (laughs) sure that works Mm -hmm. all right i got i got one more item in this episode to bring up because i think it's a a great closer for saval even though obviously there's more saval in the next episode but when trip and saval are trying to map out they're on the ship in the ready room they're trying to map out their their game plan to get down to vulcan and trip basically is just like what this guy who's been fighting with for three, four years, he's like, why are you doing this? I never got the impression you cared about humans. And Saval admits that living there for 30 years, he's kind of grown an affinity toward uh, the world. And Tripp just says, well, you did a really good job, great job of hiding it. And Saval, (laughs) thank you. Yeah, I love that scene. Really great scene. (laughs) Thanks. It now, I think it defines Saval now. It's, for me, that's like that's the Saval character now. 
Yeah, yeah but, and now when you watch back, you're like, wow, he really likes them this whole time. He's just <laughs> a jerk to them. Uh, it's just doing his job. It's, yeah. it's kind of like how when little boys like a girl, they yank their pigtails and stuff like that and and do nasty little tricks on them. Um, that's the way Saval is. He shows how much he loves the humans by hating them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like if you're my apprentice and I torture you, you're doing a good job. Right. <laughs> it's exactly if, that. If I'm ignoring you, it's because I want you to go away and stop ruining my day. Yep. It's a cool evolution for that character. Agreed. Just, uh, yeah, I really like that, it. Not one so, I think anybody expected. So, but this episode then ends with them going for the uh, Kirishara, right? Well, yes, they're, they're doing that. Kirishara. For some reason. Kirishara. Find, I, I made it Kira from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so, it's, pronou- it's pronounced Marshmallow. Yeah, Marshmallow. Yes. <laughs> so, so they're going to go look for the Marshmallow now. They actually find it in this episode. Yeah. Do they? Yep. I thought they found it in the beginning of the... Man, they're so blending together for me. No, they no you're right. They do. They, the very last thing yeah. is they find it, right? Because that's when well, he walks past the statue and says the name, and that's when Kapal starts believing that it's not just like some imagination in his head. That yeah, actually, not, not that I've watched this episode a thousand times. Nah. <laughs> yes, but you have. Right after that, uh, is they find it, and then they find Teles, and she dies. And then they end with, uh, hey, let's go to Andoria. Because all of a sudden it's, what? We're going to Andoria. Because oh. the, final, the final shot is... Uh, oh, it's back on the ship. Yeah, Trip saying, right. let's go to Andoria. And Reed's like, what? what? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, we're supposed to be going... Yeah. We got orders to go home, but we're headed towards... Yeah. yeah, we're just going a roundabout way. <laughs> that takes us to Kershara. Yeah, they can't so, stop us. So now, the third episode, which is Kira, which is named after Kirshara, Kira, Shara, whatever, <laughs> Marshmallow, however you want to call it. So, in this episode, this episode is great, but really, I mean, this whole episode, I want to punch Rand in the face. Sorry, Randy. <laughs> I hate him in this episode, and I love him normally, but he's such a jerk. And the reason he's such a jerk is because he just doesn't want to believe a Vulcan. Even though the Vulcan's telling the truth. And right up front, he's like, you better turn that thing all the way up so we can get over get this over with already. Mm-hmm. True. See, I don't have a problem with Shran in this episode because... What? <laughs> I don't. Like, this is okay? Because they are so hostile. The Vulcans and the Andorians have always been hostile to each other. I don't have a problem with Shran in my, this episode. My problem is that the Vulcan didn't show up... Well, one, don't I don't like torturing people, but... <laughs> Before we get into that debate, but good point. So, but two, okay. If he would have shown up on his own, then and you didn't believe him, I kind of get it. But you literally looked at Trip, and Trip was like, "Yo, you better hurry up and think quickly because yeah, they're there." The fact that he's not taking any all the pieces and putting them to use here, which is that he's with Trip, he's worked with this guy before. He admits that they had a good relationship, and he didn't lie to him when they were doing negotiations. It's always trustworthy, and it's pretty obvious. It's I mean, it's pretty clear he's not lying. And at some level, he just keeps ratcheting that machine up. Got for me, that got a little bit uh, long in the tooth. There's like four scenes where it's like the back and forth. He's like, "One more level," <laughs> and then come back for commercial. One more level. <laughs> <laughs> no, the worst is when he's like, "There's three levels left," and that's when. <laughs> when he realizes you don't want to hurt me, like <laughs> right. you're right. Like you couldn't have figured that out. Three levels ago, bro. Yeah, I uh, I did not love that. 
Brandy, you kind of nodded when I said that, though. Do you agree with me? I, she I defends actually, Shran to the death. I actually do. Um, because here's, here's the way I look at it. Um, Shran is not the leader of the Andorians. No. He has to answer to the leader of the Andorians and the leader of their military. Do you think they are going to believe anything a Vulcan says, no matter how much Shran vouches for them, if he didn't show that he went through the proper interrogation levels. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not condoning torture, because I think that torture is wrong. But that is what, how Andorians do things yeah. at this point in their history. So it's not out of character at all. Hold on, I spent a half hour during the detained episode talking about how... Even if it's your orders, at some point you have to realize, I, I can't keep doing this. I agree with you on that. I know, I know. And my opinion that Shran went about three levels too high to cut off at the level where he makes a, where I believe he should have made a stand. Okay, let me, let me bring up Proving Ground. And I think that this is in Shran's character. Because in Proving Ground, he went out of his way to go behind Archer's back to steal the Zindi weapon. Which calls back to this episode, because the Vulcans didn't trust him because they think that the like um, yes, Saval is telling him we think the Vulcans think you have the Zindi weapon. Well, I don't. Well, they don't believe you. You know, like these these aliens don't trust each other. I don't agree. Torture's good, but I think it's within Shran's character. Okay, that this so happened. wait, can I? Okay, so let me make a clarification. My objection is not that I don't think it's within his character. It's not even that I don't think it was written well. It's that I don't like what he's doing, period, anyway. Well, I don't like it either, but yeah, I don't know do I. I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that this doesn't make sense to me. It makes perfect sense why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. I just uh, wanted to punch him in the face during it. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to watch. But Brandy and Brandon, you guys make great points. Brandy especially, because there was a scene or a moment where he, a couple of times where he reports to some general, where he's like, here's the latest on this. Mm-hmm. The general's asking him, what's the status? And he's like, we're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And Bichet, you're totally right that it is in character with Proving Ground. I think, and then of course, Patrick, you're right too. It's just like, at some point, it went on a little too long, I think, in this episode where they could have uh, they could have structured it a little bit. Yeah, it just, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't like it. I There's mean, like, four scenes of it. If I'm going to take a moral stand on Detained, I ha- in my opinion, I have to take the same moral stand here. And there's a point at which it's gone too far that he knows the guy's not lying anymore, but because he's ordered not to believe him, he doesn't. That's a problem for me. See, I, we got to talk off. I got to bring this up now, but we can't talk about it in this episode here. You and I have to have a conversation about 24 because I know you're as big a 24 fan as I am. <laughs> so. Oh, me? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> That's look. different. That torture's different. <laughs> Well, I'm always rooting for somebody to murder somebody. I just don't like the torture. <laughs> Wait, we do we do have to talk 24. Okay, so the character that I have a problem with in this episode is Velas. You know, because he's too over the top. The guy just took it too far for a Vulcan with the, the facial expressions and the emotion and the anger. And I understand that he's not the Vulcans that we end up with and he's the bad guy I I just it seems ridiculous to me that this this much of an unstable person who's in charge would end up in charge on Vulcan 
you know, even if they're the they're a little bit corrupt in the higher ups, like this guy's way out to lunch. I don't know. It, he's too much for me in this episode. So the only way I've been able to justify that for myself is that he wasn't that crazy. And that somewhere between moving up through the ranks and being a, at least a halfway decent person, he was corrupted by the power, but he was also, spoiler alert, if you didn't see the last scene, he talks to the Romulans at the mm-hmm. end. At some point, he wanted to become more Romulan than Vulcan. And he was able to hide it really well for a long time with just saying, oh, it's logic, it's logical, let's do it. But now he snapped because he sees it all falling apart. Okay, I guess, yeah, that can, I guess that I mean, can that's, work that's for me. I mean, that's the only way I could work it out for myself, and we don't see enough of him before now to know whether he was this... Because he's a lunatic in this episode. Well, Kubak, the, the other guy, like the sane Vulcan on the council, he he actually references that... Uh, oh, no, sorry, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't it was Kubak. It was uh, Saval had referenced at one point how clever a politician Saval was to get to where he was. Mm-hmm. So obviously he was a guy that was kind of working the angles. But it's not an unfair criticism of the episode, Bichet, that I think Robert Foxworth's choices are a little extreme, especially in this episode. He gets a, a little too uh, mustache twirling. Yeah, he is definitely. Like, that's what I was referring to at the beginning, where he's just like pointing and whew, yeah. like he's quick and rapid points and everything. And yeah, no, he, he's he's obviously gone way off the deep end. This is look out of the three. This is my least favorite of the three individual episodes, but the whole arc itself is amazing. So mm-hmm. I yeah, watch I, it anyway. But you know, he is. He's he's lost it. So I just have to rationalize that that last scene explains away that lunacy. And I'll say one more thing is that he's also un- unraveling because his assistant has been pinned for this crime now, and he can't get away from that. And he had to sell his assistant down the river because. Oh, I wanted to ask about that actually. So his assistant gets pinned for this crime, and they say he's a, um, he's a Syrianite, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now he now they they've planted stuff in his home. Do you th- no? Do you think they planted stuff, or do you think he oh, yeah. always yeah. knew that he was going to take no. the fall? No, I think they planted it. They needed they, an, they needed it. an out. They needed yeah. a scapegoat. I, I took the feeling that granted it's planted, but I took the I took it as he always knew that if the poop hit the fan, he was the one going down for it, and he was okay with it. I see it as Velas unraveling. It's like okay. now, he's got, now he's got a pin it on this guy, and he's got no support, and he's uh, and he's basically tying people to the train tracks. And uh, <laughs> well, it's it's not that he pinned it on the guy. He like because he was well, the guy that dropped off the bomb. So there's nothing to pin on him. It's just they pinned the Cyrenite thing. Like, the Cyrenite thing was a lie. The point is, as soon as they came back and said, hey, it wasn't him, it was this guy, Velas went, oh, it was? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, let's, let's throw the book at this guy. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I always felt that he knew he was going to be the guy that took the fall. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think they thought... Yeah, they maybe just- not, but they definitely overloaded his house with paperwork to make him the real bad guy. Which he was, so... Well, true. I mean, it's not like it's unjust <laughs> that he's going to prison for this for the rest of his life. It's just unjust that he's the only one doing it. That's true. And I have to agree. I see this whole performance as Velas unraveling because I see him as being corrupted by power and a bit of a narcissist. And when the uh, reality that he has created is coming apart in front of him, 
it's fracturing his psyche. So he is, he's going like full Romulan at this point. And having that knowledge after seeing it the first time, but having that knowledge when watching it again, that he's in bed with the Romulans, it, it makes sense to me that he's going to start having this reaction because everything's out of his control now. And that's not how this is supposed to go. So. Agreed. Because I've seen narcissists when their plans go awry, and it is not pretty. Mm-hmm. It is overly dramatic. There is shouting and pointing and very mean words. Yeah, true, but I mean, they're usually not Vulcans. True. So. <laughs> but, again, hanging out with the Romulans. I would I would agree with Brandon that they, he should have been able to keep it together. Even being overly emotional shouldn't have been to that level. Let's, uh, let's throw a little fan service test out here to you guys right now, and let's see if it's too far or just right the appearance of the lerpas perfect yeah i, I think it i think it works mm-hmm. perfect hey i i same i love it the little, little bit different design a little sleeker and all of a sudden they're all fighting with lerpas yeah <laughs> pretty great they're a vulcan <laughs> weapon i mean I know, like right? okay good yeah no th- they're not so different that you're like <laughs> i didn't even <laughs> notice that they were different i knew what they were um, They're just a little bit sleeker, I okay. think. Yeah, yeah, they seemed a little bit a little more, more like light. something you would actually use to fight with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. All right, you you guys all passed the test. <laughs> Although they didn't look like they had even a remotely, slightly pointy edge on them. <laughs> like they were, I'm just they were disappointed the most... we didn't get a shot where Archer's shirt got cut and we had like a streak oh. of blood across <laughs> the <laughs> That would have been fantastic, but you would have said that was too far. I would have said that was too far. Yes, I would have. Yes, that would, that would have been too far. I would agree. <laughs> Although I did want him to stab the guy. Oh, here we here I go again. You just want oh. death. You want murder and death. Only if it's the good guys killing the bad guys. I, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I feel the same way. That's my role here. I just I hope that Archer kills things. Yeah, I've I have a very strong sense of justice. So when the bad guys get it, I am really happy. Any other scenes in this episode anyone wants to talk in detail about? I think uh, we can talk a little bit about Trip, maybe, because I think Trip is really good in this. How yes! Not, actually. I mean, he just leads so well. And I know, and Reed's, you know, Reed's doing the Reed thing where he's kind of poking up, like, it's permission to speak freely. We should be going back to Earth. Those are our orders. <laughs> Shut up, Reed. No, I got, I can, can see that. pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give him pineapple, kinda- shut him up. He kind of shunned him, which was kind of... He's like, yeah, we're taking a detour. Look, go sit at the kitty table. The adults are talking. Goodbye, Reed. Put the ship in between the, the Vulcan and Dorian. I mean, and just the fact that we have an episode where the Vulcans and Andorians are about to square off in this huge conflict. Super and Trip's cool. like, I'll put us in the middle and no one will fire. And that didn't work out at all. Everyone <laughs> yeah. was just like, eh, blow up the ship in the middle. Although that was a little weird to me. That, that scene... Okay, speaking of Shran, that, that scene was a little weird to me because... So the Enterprise is there to save, really, Shran, right? And so they shoot at one of the Vulcan ships to drag them off of an Andorian ship. And then Shran comes in and shoots them because the Enterprise is about to get blown. He's like, he's like, tell Archer he owes me two. No, jerk. I wouldn't even be here. Like, you can't owe me two. I- I'm here because I'm helping you. But that was a great line. It was. And I never realized until I watched I mean, I've watched it a thousand times. And it was only this time that I was like, two? What a jerk. <laughs> he somehow made my favor to him into me owing him. 
That's Shran. And Han Solo. Yep. <laughs> That's two, you owe me, Junior. <laughs> it just... Oh. Shran Solo? <gasps> My fondest dreams have just come true! I gotta get busy on that fan fiction! <laughs> Shran Solo? <laughs> That's pretty damn good. Somebody... Mock that up. Someone's got to get a fan fiction going. <laughs> I'll work it out with Dave. He's great at this. <laughs> so, Is he Shran with like a black vest on. Uh, that would be so cool. Somebody do this. Really odd looking gun. Yes. I want this so much right now. <laughs> I'm going to be having very sweet dreams now. Band in the background. So. All right. I have one more thing to bring up. I keep saying that. I'll probably have one more nope, after this. Please. All the things. I love, again, fan service, but continuity with Enterprise is when the scenes between Tapao and T'Pol, and they're talking about mind melding. And basically, and, and right here, all this issue that everybody had with early Enterprise and the fact that mind melding is deviant and not possible. And she's like, yeah, that's all a lie. The Vulcan the high council has been spreading this lie. There is no Panar system. I can, I can fix it. I'm an expert and everybody's capable of my melts. I love that moment. Mm-hmm. Just so good. Just a great link to the, for the whole series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, feel, I feel like it had to happen because that's what yeah. connects yeah. these Vulcans to the Vulcans we knew. Right. Yeah. Because that was one of the biggest things. Even if you think they were always conniving and everything else, like the fact that they didn't do mind melts was like, what? But it makes sense because, I mean, right. how the story played out. Really now well. it does. Right. After you get through yeah. these three episodes, you're like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It, it took an event that had only been spoken about in Star Trek history and showed us what happened. And it that, that doesn't always work out well, but in this case, I think that it did. No, I think they did a great job. Despite the few little things we said were problems, I still think overall this did an amazing job of giving us this arc. Yes. And can I just say, I really love it when Archer opens the Kirshara and it just starts oh, displaying yeah. all this stuff holographically. So I was just going to ask that. How do you guys feel about the fact that it, it seemed to put a hologram on exactly the walls above them? Where it, No, I think it was floating. Yeah, it, it was floating. Like it was on the walls, but it was actually just kind of in a space. Just in a circle around the thing? Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. You see, I had felt like it, it was supposed to be in that exact spot in the High Council. Which wouldn't make oh. sense because 1,800 years ago, they shouldn't have the same building. No, yeah, you're right. That would, I liked your idea until you said that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, by the way, so did I. Because yeah. he seems to like walk it into a specific point, put it down and turn it, and then push things and turn it like as if right. this was designed specifically to read right. that that building was there for 1,800 years without moving. That's yeah, amazing. That's, my, my take on the Kirshar has always been that when they first showed it, I was like, that's kind of a kind of a clunky prop like he's carrying around this kind of it looks like the preserver obelisk yeah it looks like it's kind of a weird choice for to be carrying this around through these caves and trying to get but then when he sets it down and turns it on it's like ah, i love it oh, it paid off right yeah. because but that's what bothered me is like the bottom of that thing is kind of pointed it's yeah. a little bit it's a it's wobbly yeah See, so it doesn't make sense that it fits on that table. See, what I choose to think of, like, an alternate timeline would be, like, if Archer was going to, like, Vulcan College, 
and he was younger and this is actually like some really fancy alcohol and it's like in his fancy bottle that he's got to protect and take it to the party right Thank you. i saw that going it. somewhere different Thank you, Canadian brother. I heard, I heard fancy alcohol. When I heard like younger and in college, I thought Indiana Jones. Oh, no, Vulcan, yeah, Vulcan, he's got to get to the party, you know, like old school. I don't know what was going on? Archer the tank. <laughs> and by the way, Patrick, it, it does make sense, even if it's not the same building. They they could have built the that council chamber, but they didn't believe in the. Ba- yeah, but they they wouldn't know what it was for. But they would have said, "Hey, we have to build this the exact same way for heritage and history, and for some reason mm-hmm. or some other reason." And then, boom! Oh, it actually plays out for the Kishara. I, I like your, I like where you're going with this. I'm actually gonna uh, I'm actually gonna work on this in my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when you come up with a viable one, yeah, okay. text me. I just did not really. <laughs> we'll write that season five episode. That really yeah, oh, we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, break everybody's heart, Biche. Bring that. No, up. we we no, we do season five episodes. We write them on. I know. Five, so. I know. Yeah, our, don't don't listen to our Mako one. It wasn't so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all right. So let's just do quick final thoughts. I mean, we kind of have it all in. But uh, Brandon, you want to give your final thoughts real quick? I think these are really great episodes, and I mean, I know that I nitpick sometimes, but I mean, it doesn't take away my enjoyment of the episodes at all, and they're just questions that I have when I'm watching the show. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, because, I don't know, I just, I'm like, I I think the thing should have, like, another draft, and they they could have a reason for that written in, and, and, you know, when you, you find a plot hole, that to me, that's a little bit of a plot hole, that you could probably do one more draft, even just adding one more line. You know, and to say like like with Tapau, oh no, that was a lie, and here I can fix it for you, right? Just one line. Because nitpicking is my trigger. I always say, do you realize they made literally one episode every two weeks for about seventeen straight years? Yes, they did. Unbelievable how much work that requires. So let's follow that final. So when everyone's nitpicking, I'm just like, oh, it's it's such a. Waste, waste of energy, Bichet. Sorry. Go ahead. So, so, Jim, what's your final thoughts? My final thoughts, if I was on the ready room, I would say I give it 10 Katrick arcs. 10 Because I love this uh, trilogy. It's literally, these. I mean, it has nothing to do with the fact that I was lucky enough to be in one of these episodes. But for me, The Forge is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Star Trek. It just has so much Star Trek in it. Mm. The way it connects all the way back to the very beginning of TOS, I just love it, love it so much. So the Vulcan trilogy is as is high as you can go for me in terms. And Brandy, what can I say that hasn't already been said? Lots, probably, but I'm not going to say lots. I, I'm i with you, Jim. I love this trilogy very much. In fact, The Forge, like I said, is my favorite season four episode. And... I enjoy rewatching it. Sometimes I just feel I just I need a little Vulcan in my life. So let's just put on the Vulcan trilogy, and I just enjoy it. And before I know it, all three episodes are over, and I'm just wait, what? I want more. But I the acting is great, even when it's over the top. It doesn't really bother me. Uh, the story is great, and honestly, when it comes to plot holes. 
We don't know what was cut out of the script. We don't know what pages were left out. So maybe there was an explanation and the director or the writers or a producer or somebody just said, no, we don't have time and cut stuff out. That stuff happens in television all the time and movies too. So again, doesn't really bother me. It's just, it's, the whole story is just masterful and it's perfect level of fan service to boot. And I just... I adore it. I'm passionate about it in a very unvulcan way. <laughs> all right, so my, my final thoughts are pretty simple here. I love the trilogy. Um, I love all three episodes. I do think that some of the acting towards the end was way over the top. I do think it is a bit ridiculous that they do have cloaks on the thing, but I can, I can get over those. I can get past them. Uh, I'm going to defend nitpicking a little bit. We talk once a week for about an hour about Star Trek. I gotta find things to talk about that aren't just fan service too. So I am gonna nitpick them some things that on a first watch I may not have even paid attention to, but on my thirtieth, now I'm like, ah, look at that, that's a little weird. Hey, look, he he says that, and that doesn't make any sense. Where maybe the first time I saw it, I thought it was great. Now it's like ah, I gotta, I gotta bring this up so people don't think I'm just a complete apologist. <laughs> but. Yeah. I am a complete apologist. No, that's and fine, and you admit it, and that's cool, because I mostly am, too. Yeah. I mostly am, too, and I, I, like I said up front, look, I know they shouldn't have had, um, they, they shouldn't be able to see them, because no technology works in that area, and I just ignore it, because I don't, I don't want it to ruin the episode for me, and that, that's just it, but, but we, we do have to find things to talk about from time to time, so sometimes that's what's, what it's going to be, and... Um, but other than that, I think the trilogy is great. I think it's one of the best trilogies, if not the best trilogy of season four. I think it's one of the best story arcs of the entire series. Uh, and I'm, a, I'm definitely more of a season three than season four guy. So that's saying a lot. You know, I, I just think it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But So that's my final thoughts. But thanks, Jim, for uh, coming by and, and hanging out with us for a little bit. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? You season three is awesome, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Enterprise Extra and at Trek Ranks, and you can check out my website trekranks.com. I have a podcast over there, which is literally the Apologist podcast. It's about <laughs> all the reasons we love Star Trek. Top five lists in every episode. No, no worst of lists. Just all the things we love about Trek. Mm-hmm. TrekRanks.com. Awesome. So, Brandon, since since technically you're leaving us again next week, we're going to treat you like a guest. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella, and you can find me here on the network with Melodic Treks, which is back. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. I just had, uh, as of uh, this recording, my last episode that got dropped was my Dennis McCarthy interview, <laughs> and uh, it was amazing. If you haven't checked it out, please go check it out. It was episode, I think it was episode 89 of Melodic Treks. Um, it was a heck of a lot of fun, and I just recorded today as well, episode 91 with John Takis, and we talk about the score for Clear and Present Danger by James Horner. So that's a really good discussion, so look forward to that one coming up soon. Uh, you can find me over on the Talk Film Society with my friends Chris and Tom as we talk about Alfred Hitchcock movies on Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And I'll announce it here now, uh, 
August 19th, I've got an 11-week mini-series of podcasts with Zach Moore from Standard Orbit, uh, starting on the Talk Film Society feed called Halloween H4O, and we're going through the Halloween films one at a time. We've got three of them recorded already, and it's a it's a lot of fun. We've got a couple of cool guests uh, wow. lined up, and uh, definitely check it out because we got the new Halloween movie coming out in October that I'm very much looking for, and if you need somebody, some kind of series of films that needs an apologist for... <laughs> Definitely some of the later Halloween films fall under that category. <laughs> hey, most of the Friday the 13th films fall under that category, so it's not true. So, talking about that guy who had that other guy in his head and gave it to Archer, but I can't remember anyone's name, is not the only thing we've been doing on Trek FM. So here's the list of other shows that you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Meta Treks. You can see Gene Roddenberry playing with the idea of what we could become, given our full potential. And the aliens that have achieved that, looking down and, and kind of criticizing or examining or evaluating humanity from a moral standpoint, almost like Q does in, in putting humanity on trial. There's a sense in which humanity is being judged by these morally superior aliens that are genuinely pacifists. Or in the case of Q, genuinely narcissistic. Warp 5. There's 89 Suleban plus Archer and Mayweather and now Reed. And nobody One notices this, an extra body because they don't have jumpsuits, so he doesn't have a number or anything. And probably all Suleban look alike to them. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. That's what we're getting at here, right? Yeah, They're all yep. identical. There's a boy version and a girl version, and that's it. Literary Treks. Well, you know, when I was watching the show, the thing I saw when I was reading people's commentary about the show and, you know, the, what people's impressions of his character were, I was seeing a lot of people who, who were people who suffered like kind of social anxiety and, and kind of like, you know, um, issues about their sort of like their sense of self. And they were saying that they identified really strongly with the idea that Saru is this guy who's kind of like, you know, He's, he's being pulled in two different directions. You know, he has he has a very strong ego, but he wants to be liked. You know, he's he wants to be an outgoing character, but he's also quite introverted. And, and there were a lot of people who had that experience in their lives saying, this character really speaks to me because I see a lot of myself in them. The 602 Club. One of the things that really caught me were, in the movie was this whole idea of the family dynamics that we get. And uh, I was fascinated with this because... A lot of Spielberg's early movies are about families, but in many ways through the lens of like divorce or possible divorce. And um, Deneuve said that in the interview uh, for the extras, the director of Arrival and, and Blade Runner 2049, he was talking about how that really struck a chord with him because one of the biggest fears for a kid's life in the 70s was you know, parents uh, splitting up and divorce was on the rise. And so one of the scariest things that could happen to you would be to have your parents split up. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. Hey, boomers. 
Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And there are ways, so many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, is the Babel Conference, which is our listeners group on Facebook. All you need to do is go to Facebook. Go to the search field on Facebook. Type in Babel, B-A-B-E-L. And it should come right up. It's probably going to be the first or second uh, result in that list. But that's not all. If you would like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. I don't know why I'm channeling Shatner. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek.fm. So, Patrick, when you're not forgetting everybody's names in these episodes, uh, where can people find you? So, a great place to find me not forgetting names is the Babel Conference, because when you make a post, your name is on top. So, I get to see it. But other than that, you can find me on Twitter, where your name is also on top, unless you use, like, a pseudonym, which then I just call you by that name. And you can find me there at Magic Drop 5, one word, no spaces, a five is a number. Uh, Or you can find me with my buddy Amy over at The Edge. Uh, every other week, also dropping on a Friday just like this show. So, Brandy, when you're not squeezing one guy's head to get some other guy's soul out of it, like the Ultimate Warrior, where can people find you? Uh, no, that's all I ever do. I don't do anything else in my spare time. That's it. No, really. I. You can find me on Twitter at BrandyWine12. You can find me in the Babel Conference. You can find me on the Dark Corner Podcast that I do with my husband, Dave, at darkcornerpodcast.com. You'll find me sometimes popping up on the 602 Club. There is a lot of places. There are a lot of places. That was improper grammar. I'm so ashamed of myself. There are a lot of places where you can find me. I just told you all of them. <laughs> If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron on the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And at this time, we would like to recognize and thank the associate producers for Warp 5, who are as follows. Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Oser, Mark Flessa, and Chris Tribuzio. Tribuzio. Chris Tribuzio. I can talk tonight, I swear. Chris, I'm sorry I keep slaughtering your name. We very much appreciate you helping the network and also helping Warp 5 in particular. You're the best, guys. Well, that's all we have for you this week. Uh, So until next week, keep calm and boom on. Turn the lights off in the basement. <laughs> it's like, where are you going? <laughs>